I'm Jody Verdoran, Editor-in-Chief of The Forward, and during this high holiday season, we've been re-listening to relevant episodes of our Jewish Advice podcast, A Bintel Brief. In today's, a young woman who is fed up with what she calls the wedding and baby and etiquette industrial complex grapples with how to give meaningful gifts and remain connected to friends as they move into different life stages. Support for the Forward's Bintel Brief podcast comes from listeners like you and from Edward Blank, whose generosity makes this program possible. Before we start, we've got a podcast rec for you. Lynn and I give five stars to Judaism Unbound. Every week, the show features candid, revolutionary conversations about how Judaism could be reimagined by people on the ground, like you, and not just by institutions. If you love Judaism in theory, but feel disconnected from it in practice, subscribe to Judaism Unbound. With six years and 300 episodes of past shows, there's a lot to explore and to inspire you to think differently about what it means to be and do Jewish. Scroll through their back catalog and see what interests you, or jump in with this week's episode. Judaism Unbound is available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Lynn, if I could wave a magic wand and relieve you of one adult obligation to society that you just cannot stand, what would it be? Okay, to be clear, I am pro-mask. I am also pro-lipstick, and I want them both. So really, I'm asking you to, to wave your magic wand and get rid of the pandemic. But if not, just wave one and really get me a brand of lipstick that does not smudge because so far, they don't exist. What about you, Gina? What can I relieve you of? The burdensome task of gift wrapping. It's a waste of paper, waste of time. It just gets thrown away anyway, and I suck at it. So for all those reasons, I would be a happy person if I never wrapped another gift again. Okay, 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 here's the plan, here's the plan. I love to gift wrap, and I'm very thrifty and DIY about it. I recycle. You send me your unwrapped gifts. I wrap them artfully in my lipstick smudge masks. How about maybe the masks that you don't have to wear anymore? Oh, after the fir- after the magic wand? Yes. Yep. Done. That's actually the kind of thing I would do as a DIY nerd. Like, what can I do? I made it into a rose. Yeah. Okay. For more practical solutions to intractable problems, send your dilemmas to us at bintel at forward.com and we'll take care of it. Or leave us a message at 201-540-9728. Again, 201-540-9728. We'll be waiting by the phone. <laughs> so here's one question that people have been writing into advice columns since the dawn of time. What is your social obligation to friends and family who are getting married or having a baby? Yeah, and contending with this question is one of those rites of passages to adulthood, and there's no easy answer. So, as always, we're going to tackle this in three parts. First, Lynn and I will take a crack. Then, the Forward's archivist, Hannah Pollock, will tell us what the Forward of times past might have said about it. And then, because it's always good to get a third option, we bring on a special guest. This episode, we'll talk with Aviva Kalmer, founder and CEO of The Adventure School, an event planning company that creates immersive adventure environments to hear how we can think about celebration as an act of tikkun olam. Can't wait. But first, the question. 
Dear Bintel Brief, I'm a mid-30s millennial, which means my social life has been consumed by weddings and babies. And I'm grumpy about it. Bachelorette parties, wedding registries, baby showers, meal trains, all those destination weddings and gifts get expensive. And what working person in their 30s has time to make a whole extra meal for another family, pack it in Tupperware they don't care about getting back, and then deliver it, all on a weeknight? Also, I find it sad that community support has been reduced to buying people something off an internet list or dropping a postpartum meal at their door. It's 2022. Do I have to participate in the wedding and baby etiquette industrial complex? Or can we finally put that to rest? How can I celebrate my friends in a way that's supportive of them and meaningful to me? Signed, Grumpy Gifter. Pronoun she, her, hers. The Wedding and Baby Etiquette Industrial Complex. Grumpy Gifter, you nailed it with that one. And at the same time, I'm wondering why Grumpy Gifter isn't excited to celebrate these moments. Like, why are these invitations pissing her off? Shouldn't she be happy to celebrate a new baby or a wedding? That really makes me question the nature of her relationship with the very people who are inviting her to celebrate with them. I don't know, Gina. I had the opposite reaction. I really, really resonate with the emotion she's bringing to this. I don't think she's not happy for her friends. She doesn't give us her bio, but if she was anything like me in my early 30s, I wanted to get married. And I wasn't bitter at my friends. On the contrary, I was happy for them. It's not being asked to celebrate them. It's how you're asked to celebrate them, I would say, is one thing. So it's kind of like as you may know, big fan of RuPaul's Drag Race or any picture, any pageant or any like awards announcement or whatever, when you're in the running and they give the award or whoever it is, Shantae, you stay or you're the next drag to someone else. And for a few minutes, you've got to be happy. You've got to clap and and smile and be happy even when you wanted that thing. And then you have to go buy them stuff. And then you have to go to a really long party. And, and I love a party, but it's like it's that kind of prolonged face-to-faceness with the thing that you kind of want, legit, and that someone else got. It doesn't mean you're not happy for them. We're adults. We can have complex emotions. We can be happy for someone and bummed out for us and then also annoyed that we can't afford it. To me, though, that's different. Wishing that you were in that same position is separate from indicting the baby wedding industrial complex, right? They're they're related, but they're separate. And, you know, for me, I actually had a different experience because I got married in my early 20s. I had babies very early in life. By the time I got to my 30s, I had <laughs> had three children already and was and have a different sort of relationship to the invitations and to this practice because i think that as a married with children as a married parent then i just sort of saw them differently and interacted with these opportunities in life and these and these celebratory moments differently as a result yeah no matter what emotional place that grumpy gifter is in it's still there is that sense of forced celebration like you got to do it this way and you got to get you got to buy this and go to this fitting and 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 get the ticket for that and then maybe wear a dress you hate or whatever it is now that there i think is something that we can pull on here which is 
those relationships that I mentioned at the very top of the episode, right? So what is the nature of her relationship with these folks? I would imagine there are going to be some people whose wedding you're going to be in the wedding party for, you're going to travel across the world for, you're going to buy the most amazing gift in the world for, right? Because you you are close to that person. They are important to you. And there's probably some folks that you get the invitation and you might be like, why are they inviting me? (laughs) Right? And so I think there's a spectrum here. And to me, part of what I think Grumpy Gifter needs to begin thinking about is what's the calculus for her in terms of what is her, what is the feeling of obligation that she has to whomever is celebrating regardless of what they're asking for. But to your first question, Gina, I really think that actually does touch on the big question that she's asking, which is, am I still part of the community if I don't participate in these social customs, if I don't attend these events? That is the $64,000 question for this moment in history, actually. You know, we talked about this question being perennial, right? And a few things that are coming to mind for me is over time, that nature of social obligation changes, right? Lives change, our communities change, our social structures change, and how we celebrate and share in these occasions changes over time too. Grumpy Gifter might be at the vanguard of the next era of celebration and beginning to think about different ways to do it that don't require us to empty our pockets every time someone walks down the aisle. But I will say that What never goes away, no matter what era we're in, is a sense of expectation and obligation that friends and families acknowledge is sort of is related to all of these experiences and these opportunities and and, and celebrations. So it's, you know, an expectation on the part of your future spouse or a parent feeling like everyone should honor their wishes because they're getting ready for a big event. And what's changing is this unquestioning obligation to honor those wishes, this unquestioning obligation to do things the way we've been doing them because that's the way we've been doing them. I think that we're seeing in American life right now a very robust assessment and critique of doing things just the way we've done them before and a negotiation of so many social contracts that this trickles right on down to celebration and gift giving and travel. Why would this be immune to that? Yeah. I mean, where all this came from is, you know, certainly patriarchy. Thank you. But just this idea that when two people were setting up their home together, they had not had a home before separately. They didn't have stuff. So it's not so much gifting as providing. And there's this idea that the community is literally setting up your home. And in that sense, it's very lovely. And then as with Valentine's Day, capitalism figures it out. And now we have gift registries with $200 spoons. Right. And an espresso and a Jeep Cherokee. And the same is true for starting families, right? Many people are starting families when they are much more established and have things set up in a way that we didn't 50 years ago. Now it doesn't happen for the same reasons and it doesn't come from the same place. And so that takes that kind of community feel out of the way it used to be. And for Grumpy Gifter, you know, it thinking about this pursuit of a non-burdensome expectation or a way of giving. But the truth is that most of the time, giving has some degree of, of burden 
you know, whether it's financial or it's psychological or it's time, all sort, all of these things come into play when it comes to giving, whether or not it's something that we're elated to do or something that we feel is just capitalism continuing to creep into our lives. But I think we should, I think we can make the call early for Grumpy Gifter. And, and that's to say, if you care about your friends, you do have to participate in some way. So the goal of our conversation today is going to be to help Grumpy Gifter find options that allow her to honor her friends' life milestones in a way that's supportive to them and meaningful to her. And in search of that sweet spot, Lynn and I actually pulled our friends and asked them about some of their experiences getting or giving gifts um, at points in their lives. Lynn, what what were some of the things you came up with? Okay. Ready, Grumpy Gifter? Here are some ideas. Search for a, a hyper-local charity or cause in their neighborhood, in their new neighborhood, something or a cause that's near and dear to them. And especially with a small charity, a modest donation can go a long way. For new moms, freezable, single-serving food that she can eat with one hand. Also, people know this one now, but like as with this one, buy a gift for the parents, not the babies. Our friends Michael and Noah got us, I always remember this, got us delicious smelling lotion and hand sanitizer So because we had to wash our hands so much and, we, and our hands were never dry and they always smelled like lemon balm. Um, and also my friend Christina, last thing, my friend Christina <laughs> has been known to help you alleviate thank you note stress by sending with a gift a self-addressed stamped thank you note to herself. That's amazing. I also love any envelope that already has a stamp on it. I love the idea of the freezable single serve prep for new parents that they can eat one handed, new moms especially who might be nursing babies. Like that's huge. And related to that, thinking about how to ease the burden of new parenthood, like what is a gift that you can give that will actually ease that burden? I had folks, friends in Oakland who'd be like, hey, can you come and take my kids to the park for a couple of hours so that I can shower, so that I can, you know, get something else done other than parenting for a moment? I think that there's so many ways that Grumpy Gifter and others in her position could actually build community, deepen relationships, and ease the burden of these challenging, you know, of new parenthood, for example, that are really amazing. And one of the great things about participating, but participating creatively, is that people remember. I have another friend who, for her wedding, she and her husband specifically asked their guests to give to organizations that supported LGBTQ rights or perhaps even marriage equality. It was before marriage equality. They said, we actually want to pay a straight tax with our wedding to acknowledge that we can do this, but a lot of y'all can't. So we completely copied that. And I think people after us copied that. It made us feel good, made our guests feel good, and it drove a little bit of culture change, or at least it put more money in the right bank. Mm-hmm. I like that. So I think the bottom line for Grumpy Gifter is that you don't have to participate in the whole thing. And, you know, it reminds me of something that uh, my coworker says, that you don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to, and you don't have to show up to every wedding you're invited to either. Yes, and ideally they won't be the same event. (laughs) 
Now that Lynn and I have talked through the modern day perspective on this, let's hear some advice from the past. Welcome to the Forwards Archivist, Hannah Pollock, who's got a letter from the Forwards Back Issues. Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Okay, so if we had Grumpy Gifter, um, in the Bintel from 1979, we have, I guess, what we could call Willful Will Writer. There's a uh, reader writing into the foreword in 79 that he's actually in the, the other end of the life cycle complex. Uh, he's preparing his will. And there are certain people, spoiler alert, that he's not interested in, in um, having as part of his estate. And those happen to be his children. So let's hear a little bit uh, what he has to say to the forward. Esteemed editor, I've worked hard. I didn't know from days off and I frequently worked overtime as well. Along with my loyal wife, we supported our children and also saved a few dollars for our old age. I didn't get rich, but as I started to feel I wasn't in the best of health any longer at 75, I retired. Our three children are already independent and enjoy themselves so much they don't have time to visit their parents. They only come over when they want to buy a new car or are planning a trip to Florida, and their loyal mother can't let them leave with empty pockets when they say they need money. And I loved also the phrase he used in, in Yiddish for empty pockets is Leidike is. As I've still got some left over to offer modest sums in my will while I'm still alive, I'd like to see to it that those who are unworthy do not receive their share of my will. I want that bit of my hard work that remains after me to go mostly to institutions in Israel and also to local Jewish causes. And I need a responsible person to help me with this, respectfully a retiree. Hannah, is the letter writer essentially asking for permission to exclude his kids from his will? That's the basic question. Yes, absolutely. He's writing to the forward exactly right for permission to be a grumpy gifter. So to me, my initial reaction is such disappointment with this letter writer. I feel like it is such an, an, a responsibility for parents, for communities to pass on the wealth to the next generation. And I think a lot about how in this country, particularly Black families, haven't had that opportunity to not only pass down the wealth, but to amass it in the first place. And it seems like such an abdication of responsibility. It, it speaks to me of being spiteful, but also scared to actually have a conversation with them and just do the thing that you do on like Falcon Crest, you know, <laughs> I'm writing you out of my will, you know? And so it feels that to me is the sort of, there's some sort of other unmet need mm. that possibly could be addressed. There's gotta be. So uh, the forward responded to the retiree very succinctly and um, I think kind of interesting. They were saying um, that they, they heard the part that the grumpy will writer was complaining about the resentments they were holding. But enough Jews leave their estates to various good causes, and it shouldn't be difficult for you to decide what to do. There's no lack of need both at home in this country and in the Jewish state. So they settle sort of the community part of it. And then the kicker, I think, the last paragraph, you also have to see to it that you don't deprive your own folks. And here in Yiddish, they use the phrase Aire Egene. And Egene is usually used to say in Yiddish, your own, but it can also sort of be a little bit broader and kind of like in um, African-American folklore, 
folks, right? Your people, your own people. Don't deprive your own folks. Even those you've got resentments against, perhaps you can also put them in your will. We don't have the right to advise you what and to whom to leave it. You must, along with your wife, and also with the counsel of a lawyer, write out your will. So it's, it's interesting in 1979, they're also sort of instructing people that writing a will as opposed to just speaking your resentments, right, is a really important practice. And also um, with the counsel of a lawyer, right, to make it official. But most importantly, I thought, and where it connected, was that you, you don't want to deprive your own community, your own personal family community, even those you've got resentments against. Mm. The thing I really loved about the forward's answer was that they really gave um, the grumpiness of the writer its due, right? They weren't trying to just say, well, get over yourself. or You know, they, they, they gave it its place. And they were like, we understand. You feel you've been treated unjustly, right? Your kids didn't come to visit. You think they only came when they needed money. And this really hurt you. So they, they actually addressed it before they went on to say, but doesn't seem quite fair to cut people out like that because of your grumpiness. Yeah, which circles back to one thing we were saying about current grumpy gifter, which is what statement do you want to make? Like in your heart of hearts. Think about where like, like where is it coming from? What are you mad at? And that could actually help give you a course of action that will either lead you to do something meaningful or just let yourself off the hook. Right. In the same way that the forward in 1979 addressed and appreciated the grumpiness, the grumps need to appreciate and interrogate their own grumpiness too. Hana, thank you as always for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. Hana, I think we should just send you a pre-written thank you note. No, you should send us a pre-written thank you note. (laughs) (laughs) It better have a stamp on it. We'll be right back after the break. I'm Jody Rudoran, Editor-in-Chief of The Forward. Every day, my team of creative, passionate journalists works to understand and explain our complex and diverse Jewish world, to cover the rise in anti-Semitism, the changing discourse around Israel, the new trends in Jewish books, film, and food. We're carrying on a 125-year tradition of holding power to account and helping American Jews explore our identities, but we're doing it in new ways that work across generations. If you want to keep up with what American Jews are talking about, sign up today for our free email newsletters. Just go to forward.com slash newsletters. One more podcast we're into. It's called Upworthy Weekly. Upworthy's first podcast is a lighthearted look at some of their most popular and engaging stories. Delivered to your podcast feed every Saturday, it's the perfect way to shake off the Monday to Friday news cycle with a refreshing dose of good news. Join Todd Perry, one of Upworthy's most prolific writers, and Allison Rosen, a podcaster, writer, and TV personality best known for the super popular show, Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, as they go through the week's best stories about humanity. Subscribe to Upworthy Weekly wherever you get your podcasts. We are so delighted to have today as our guest to bring us into the next stage of this conversation, Aviva Kalmer, founder and CEO at The Adventure School, a company that creates immersive adventure environments. Aviva, welcome to A Bental Brief. Thank you. I'm so excited. You want to tell us a little bit more about what you do at Adventure School? 
Yeah. So we are essentially an event planning company and the kind of events we have planned has changed throughout the course of the business. But what has stayed constant is that we want to lower people's boundaries, allow them to connect all different kinds of people at the party, every personality type, allow people to connect with themselves or with other people. And have that feeling you have when you go on an adventure, when you're traveling, where things are new, but you can accept them and you can connect with different kinds of people. And we feel like events are part of the healing of the world and celebrating and being together creates that connection that can do Takuna Lum. And I also happen to know a little birdie told me that you were once on the board of The Kitchen in San Francisco. And as a former Bay Area native, I'm very familiar with the innovative and really sort of vanguard work that The Kitchen does and started doing many years ago. How do you bring that to bear when you're thinking about reinventing tradition? You know, I think there's there's a lot between the adventure school and the kitchen that I see in common where there's like the essential root of the celebration. You don't need to change that. But then it's how do we layer on top of them? How do we bring people into those and make it feel alive today? Are you able to do that in contexts that aren't religious? Yeah, that's most of what I do. Um, My favorite work right now is corporate work. And what I love is work is this place you sort of have to go, right? You have to make money some way. A lot of people need to be there. And you're sort of like living your whole life there. And how can you connect with those people? So I love doing corporate events and inviting people to connect in that space in a way that feels genuine to them and welcoming of their whole identity. And the way I find that we do that is by really taking into account that not everybody wants to be at an event the same way. So some people, they want to do a little project and sit there and just talk to the person right next to them doing the little project. They want to do like leather craft. And another person is sort of happy, like roaming around the party, seeing everything that's there and schmoozing. And another person wants to just look and enjoy something beautiful, like someone playing a violin that they made. That I think helps people connect more fully. So our letter writer, Grumpy Gifter, was you know caught in the tension of taking part in a celebration versus the over-the-top expectations often around gifting, attendance, wardrobe, etc., all the fuss. And you talk about keeping the core of a tradition. So how do you think about that tension between what is the beauty of, of a tradition versus the expectations that are often attached to it? And where, where can one make choices in that, in that mix? Yeah, you know, I think we have to recognize that we're all at our own place when we come somewhere right? Like I'm with my husband. We're at a party because his company went public. I'm having my own feelings about that. Um, I think you need to acknowledge where you are when you go somewhere and what brings, what does it bring you joy to bring? Maybe it only brings you joy to sing. Maybe you don't want to bring a present. You think that's BS. And so when you show up there, you're not the only person. We're not a party of one. A party is a community of people and everybody else is, has joy for bringing something different. They're like ready to dance forever, you know, and you can let that shift over the course of the party and show up in the way that you can show up. Because if you show up without resentment and you show up in your best way, that is what is going to make the party sing. I love that, Aviva, but are you saying we have to go to every party and we have to like it? Well, there's the pony up mentality. 
right? That's one thing. I I have to pony up for this one and I'm going to, right? I need to be here. It's my sister's wedding and I'm pissed she's getting married before me, but I need to be there, right? That can happen. But no, you don't have to go to every event, but it's certainly a mitzvah to go to certain ones. And I think that there are events that you do need to go to. I think that if you need a minion to sit Shiva and you can make yourself available, that there's some validity to being part of the community in that way. And I also think it's okay to tap out of the ones that you feel like really you can't, you can't, you can't go to and elevate the experience for others. I think both of those things can be okay. And Aviva, doesn't abandoning resentment also mean challenging expectations? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us deal with challenging expectations of ourselves and the outside world, right? Like making the decision, the empowering decision to do something different than you thought you would do in your life, that you don't want to have kids, that you don't want to get married, that you, you know, want to be in a relationship with multiple people, that, you know, that it looks different. And um, the good news is that you're surrounding yourself mostly by people who want that for you. And that our our ceremonies are opening in a way to acknowledge all of that as right they should. So for you, celebration isn't just fun. I mean, celebration is core to our existence and our experience. Can you can you say more about your philosophy? Yeah, I think celebration, it's part of Lador Vador. It's part of going from generation to generation and you know, as much celebrating as you can do in real time, as your community can see it better for repairing the world. When you see the baby naming and you see that baby and they're growing up and you watch them over time, you know, that's how we can truly connect with the people around us. And I think that connection is pretty core to the health of society. So Grumpy Gifter, I feel like this means Give yourself permission to celebrate in the way that feels meaningful to you and also the freedom to celebrate in the way that feels meaningful to you. Finding that space to be okay with what feels right for you and what feels right for the people you're celebrating with just feels so important and I think should be empowering to Grumpy Gifter, perhaps, thinking about what the future may hold and how she interacts with community and builds community in the celebratory ways that are that feed everyone. Yeah, and to to anyone who relates to Grumpy Gift or really anyone, there's an opportunity like yes, you can opt out. But there's an opportunity in the way Aviva has framed it to connect not to, not just to am I happy for these people or how do I compare to these people's lives in a way that is upsetting for me or whatever it is and just connect to celebration as a concept and celebration as a mitzvah. Yeah, I have one message for Grumpy Gifter. I really could identify with Grumpy Gifter talking about bringing the meal. As someone who has benefited from the meal train, I have to say, like, you need that food. You are so grateful that you are getting fed at that moment. And it feels a true mitzvah that the person has made the food. And on the other side, I have recently told myself I cannot sign up for this. I do not have it in me to make those meals. But what I can do is order a bag of amazing Instacart food that gets delivered that is what I know you love, what we loved when we hung out in our college dorm that takes me 15 minutes to do and is going to bring you a lot of joy. Or what I can do is be the one to text at 2 a.m. because I'm up and this is what I'm doing. And so 
it doesn't mean you can't give. It means come back and think, what what's the overlap in the Venn diagram between me and meal train baby recipient? Where is in the middle for us right now? And when you find that place, you're going to be happy. I'm picturing you like Instacarting your friend, like what you ate in college. So like some Funyuns, a six pack of Jolt and some weed. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and then they, they still need all of that. They may have forgotten, but they need the weed. They need the Jolt. If they are getting the meal train recipient, they need everything you've just said. <laughs> Thank you, Aviva. Seriously, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. As always, we're closing out the episode with a mental blitz. I'm married to a rabbi and spend most of my Shabbat mornings chasing my toddler around the shul and trying to survive the insufferable Tot Shabbat kid services. I'm considering popping some weed gummies, kosher of course, with some other parents at the start of shul, but don't want to get caught by the rabbi. What do you recommend? I mean, my shul has Maker's Mark at Kiddush. Pick your poison. Yeah, and their strength in numbers. Go ahead and pop that gummy. There are going to be plenty of other parents to catch your kid if they fall off the slide and you're too blazed out of your mind. It's a pot Shabbat. (laughs) That's the next sisterhood fundraiser. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here, folks. Weed gummies, kosher for all socially painful occasions, as long as you have some backup. And if you have a problem, let us help you. Write in to B-I-N-T-E-L at forward.com or call 201-540-9728. We're your one-stop solution shop. You're welcome. This podcast is a product of The Forward. Our editor-in-chief is Jody Rudoran, and our CEO and publisher is Rachel fishman Federson. This is produced by Wonder Media Network, and our producer is Alessandra Walner. Our production assistant is Carmen Borca-Carrillo. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. Special thanks again to Edward Blank, whose generosity makes this show possible.